Good morning. We're in Luke chapter six, and this is a uh, it's a it's a passage that will seem familiar to some. Um, in fact, I've uh, over the course of this week, I've discovered that. Well, it's probably, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite passages. I mean, I hate to say that any passage in scripture is more favorite than another um, because it's God's word to us and so he wants us to know it all. But when you hear me in a message and I talk about how it seems to be that Christ is calling us to live, I tend to quote segments of this particular passage. It's known as the Sermon on the Plain. Now, most of us are very familiar with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's a long, longer sermon. Uh, but this, the Sermon on the Plain, uh, Luke in particular, but Jesus, um, when, when he's talking to people, he knows the context within which he's speaking. He knows the people to whom he's speaking. So sometimes, uh, maybe on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he had more Hebrew he had more Hebrew uh, listeners, more in the audience, people that had grown up in the Jewish faith. Uh, but here, uh, in this wide open space where they ha- he has this sermon, it seems to be, because of the, the things he doesn't say that he does say in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it seems to be that he's speaking to a more um, Gentile, non-Jewish crowd. Because he leaves out some of the legalistic, or legal, that's not the right word, some of the legal requirements of the law. For example, in Sermon on the Mount, he says things, Jesus says things like, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, quoting scripture, uh, do not murder. But I say to you, anyone who calls his brother a fool or says raka to his brother has committed murder in his heart. So he's calling on the law, the thing that the Jewish people are very familiar with, and then he one-ups it. He, he, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, uh, keep the Sabbath holy, but I say, you know, da, da, da. So he, he doesn't do this in Luke, but he does use some of the same kind of ideas. Like in, in the gospel, according to Matthew, when Jesus is speaking the Sermon on the Mount, he starts off with blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. They're called the Beatitudes, the, the, the say nice things. Here he starts off with Beatitudes, but there's only a few of them. And then he turns into, it goes from blessings to woes. And I just want you to know what those words mean. To bless means in, 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 in common everyday English, if I say blessed are, I'm saying lucky are or fortunate are. Uh, but the word bless literally means to say good things about. So you know that when God, um, when he spoke into darkness, he said, let there be light, there was light. When he, he brought order from chaos, there was order that came out of chaos. When he spoke to you this morning, when you were still sleeping, and he said, awaken, even if it was through your alarm clock, or right now, at the few seconds that I've been talking, you breathed several times. It is the word of God that goes out. God speaks it. That is what maintains and sustains all things. So the fact that you're breathing today is because God is still sending his word out saying to you, breathe. It is the life, the breath of God. So when God says something, it becomes. So if God says good things, good things will be. But if he says woe to you, to, 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 to have him say woe to you is to say negative things. And if God says anything, it is, it becomes. So when he says woe to you who are, woe to you who are, listen up. Now, this sermon that Jesus preaches, this sermon on the plain, it's a convicting sermon. And, but, but it is a sermon. 
And sermons should be looked at in, in the context of usually there's a beginning, hopefully there's a middle, and sooner rather than later there should be an end. I know what you're thinking. <coughs> Not that anyone ever does that. So all of this, there's so many sayings in here. You've got to keep in mind, too, he's not speaking with a public address system. He's, he's speaking on a plane, and he, he speaks a sentence, and then he waits for it to filter out there. Then he speaks another sentence. But we could take all of these little things, and we could kind of call them proverbs. Like, here's this saying, here's this saying, here's this saying, here's this saying, and we don't connect them. But that was not the intent. The intent is that he is saying all these things to build to the end to tell us what it is that he wants us to see. So the other, one other thing, one, one other uh, preamble I'll give you is um, the difference between something that we, that we talk about in church, something that the scriptures speak of, that we tend to get confused about. There's a difference between the word guilty and the word conviction. This is a convicting sermon. And it's supposed to point to very specific things. If you're, con if you're declared guilty, found guilty in the court of law, you're then convicted. You're convicted of a specific crime at a specific time, in a specific day, at a specific place, against a specific person or against the state, right? It's all, you're never convicted of a crime because you're just a jerk, right? It's always something specific. Now, the enemy perverts God's conviction in our lives and tries to make us think differently about ourselves. He uses this tool called guilt. And guilt is this idea, it, it keeps you away from God. It's, 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 you know, when you've, conf and all of us have those things that we've confessed to God time and time and time again. Lord, I did it again, I did it again, I did it again, and forgive me, and oh, how can I be such a kind of person that you've already forgiven me for this, I'm so weak, I've done this so many times, why is it? And then, and then after a while you get so caught up in it that you stop even praying forgiveness, asking for forgiveness or confessing it because you're like, I'm going to fail again anyway. I go back to college. When I went to college at Hope College, um, started there in the fall of 1984, and it didn't take me long to realize that they don't take attendance. And if you miss class, they don't call mom. Very different than high school. And so there's this one class, personality psychology. I was a psych and religion double major. One class, personality psychology, um, that was taught by a guy I'm pretty sure had none. That's, that's a terrible judgment on my part. Um, and scripture speaks to me judging. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. But I remember I showed up Lover's Hall, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 a.m. Terrible time for a class, especially a boring one. And I show up the first day and the professor says this. I lecture out of the book, I test out of the book, and I don't take attendance. I just hope that my magnetic personality will bring you here Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 a.m. I saw him four times. That day and three test days. That's, but... I did run into him on campus a couple of times. And uh, when I ran into him on campus, I kind of did this. He, he had no idea who I was because I showed up in his class. I showed up for test day. So he has no idea who I, but I know who he is. And so when I see him, because I felt guilty, I felt like a terrible person for missing class. When I would see him in what's called the Pine Grove, I'd kind of like, again, he has no idea who I am. He doesn't care if I pass the class. He doesn't care about any of that. But to me, it's like, there's this shame, this kind of toxic shame that's, I don't want to be seen for being the guy that isn't doing, I mean, I'm paying good money. My mom is paying good money for me to go to class. It's costing me a lot to not take this class. You would think I would, but, but the idea, that feeling of guilt, it keeps me away 
So after a, a while, it was such that, that I did not want to be there. But there were times when I was convicted when I was in college that actually spurred me on. There, there was a, this is before you turn everything in online. And we will get to the scripture, I promise. This, this, this is trying to help you have the mindset to receive what Christ has for you today. Before you did everything online, we didn't have computers. The modems were a telephone that you put in a cradle and you dialed up. It was, it, it, anyway. They used to have this thing that if you have their, your paper in by midnight, if it's under my door of my office when I show up at 7 a.m., I don't know when you dropped it off, so I'll give you credit for the day before. Well, you know, I, the Spirit of God started convicting me a little bit, and there was a time when I had a paper and it wasn't done until 2 a.m., uh, a lot of jolt cola. Um, yeah, all the sugar and twice the caffeine. Um, uh, so instead of sneaking over there, trying to get into Lover's Hall, sliding under the professor's door, I was waiting for him when he came to the, to the door with my paper in hand at 7 a.m. And I handed him the paper. And he goes, I told you that if it was under my door, I mean, now it's going to be late. I said, I know. I wasn't done by noon or by midnight. I wasn't done till two in the morning, so I'll take my licks. That's a conviction. It's something specific. I know that, it, that, and you know what? I shouldn't get credit for something I didn't do, and I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be excused from something I, I, I shouldn't be excused from. So when you hear these things from Jesus today, these convictions, that's what they're meant to do. They're meant to convict, not to make you guilty. They're meant to draw you back to God instead of push you away from God. So I'm going to read this whole sermon. I'm going to, the first paragraph, I'll say a few things, and then I'm going to read the sermon, almost uninterrupted. Um, but I want you to hear all of it, not just bits and pieces. And some of them should poke you pretty good. I know they poked me. But hear, hear them as God's challenge to call us back to him, not to push us away. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples uh, was there. Uh, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Panta, all. So often in, in our modern Western Christian worldview, we, we think that Jesus used to do this, but he no longer does. But it tells us that people afflicted by evil spirits, people that were injured, people that were diseased, people that were sick, that all they wanted to do is touch him because the power of the Holy Spirit was on him and he healed them all. This morning in the commons area, two people, uh, one, one was in the sanctuary, one was in the commons area. I heard of two healings today. They didn't just happen today, but I've heard of two today. One woman had a, a bowel obstruction, and, and someone prayed over her, gone. She was going to go for surgery, bowel obstruction is gone. Another woman just found out she's in remission from cancer, and yes, that's through medicine. But when I asked about how nervous she's been about it, and how worried she is, and how much anxiety there is, and as someone who, study, or who struggles with anxiety, if God gives you peace when normally you would be anxious, that's a healing. And she goes, you know, my, my family gets blue ribbons in anxiety, but when this cancer journey started, I prayed and God just took the anxiety and the fear away. I had peace that transcends understanding. He said, peace be to you, peace be unto you. My peace I give to you. And no fear, no anxiety. And the reason God heals still is so that the church, the people of God will be encouraged, will be enlightened and will be edified, built up. 
So that's what the context, Jesus, everyone's touching him and they're all getting better. And then he sits down and he says to them, or he stands up, they sit down, he says to them, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Fortunate are you who hunger now for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. And blessed are you when men hate you when they exclude you and insult you or reject your name as evil because of Jesus, the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how the fathers, their fathers treated the prophets. They hated them. But woe to you who are rich. For you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you all men, when all men speak highly of you. Excuse me. Woe to you when all, speak, all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid back, repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as my Father is merciful. Don't judge, and you won't be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give as it has been given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Now, that's the place where I'm going to pause in this message because we don't normally have a picture of what this measure thing is and the press down, the shaken up, and the overflowing. They used to have these scales. You've seen those, right? And if they were putting, if you were buying, they didn't use pounds, but if they were buying a pound of grain, they would have a weight to put on the other side that was a measure. It was a pound. It weighed a pound. And they would slide that onto the rack. And when they filled up this little basket of grain, when it leveled out, you're buying a pound, you're getting a pound. But some people would cheat. Just like baseball players that cork a bat. They want the bat to perform better than it should. So they drill and they try to be real careful to put, put the top back on. But when they break that bat, they get penalized for it. Some people would cheat the measure. They would take the measure, they would paint it, they would all look good and they would drill it out or they would scrape off every, every time they would use it, they would scrape off a little bit on some metal thing on the table so that over, over time, it says and looks like a pound, but you're only getting three quarters of a pound of grain. So you're paying full price and getting less. And Jesus is saying, if you cheat people, the same way you cheat people, it's gonna happen to you. 
And when it talks about being pressed down and shaken up and poured to overflowing, the overflowing piece, picture them, they had these long cloaks, right? These robes. And when they would sit down, when they're doing the bartering at the marketplace, they would sit down and that robe would be here. And to have something go into the basket and it's being weighed up and measured for you and it goes to overflowing, it's going to fall into your lap. That's what he's talking about. It's just, that's how God treats us. And when he talks about uh, pressed down and shaken up, any of you who have ever put uh, flour in a cup, if it calls for a cup of flour when you're making cookies or a cake or, or something more healthy than that, but um, you, you take that flour and you put it in there, but there's air in there. So what do you do? You push it down. You, 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 so you get a cup as a cup and it's without all the air in there. And the shaken up, all of us have put pennies or something in a jar and there's no more room for the top. And so you, you shake it to, get, to let it settle. So you get everything that will fit in there. Jesus is saying, this is how God has treated you. He's saying, you know, that he presses it down. You always get everything that's expected. You always get what he, in fact, he'll make sure that you get not only what you're paying for, but even more. He wants his people to treat others the way God treats us. And God treats even wicked and selfish and, and, and envious people. He treats them well. He shows them mercy. The sun comes up, the rain comes down on them, just like anyone else. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? And then he's talking to those who are learning from Jesus. He says, a, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good trees bear, ba no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of, the evil, out, of the, out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like, a, he's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. There's a lot of stuff in there. And there's a lot of stuff that I hope is convicting. I'm going to go back to the blesseds and the woes just for a second. Sometimes we hear that blessed are the, or uh, woe to you who are rich and blessed are those who are poor. And I want you to know that if we just take those things individually, it's, uh, you know, we all eat to our fill. Most of us have more than enough food. And it says those who, who, you know, woe to you who are well fed because you've had all your comfort. Woe to you who are laughing because you will weep. Um, he's not talking about individual things there. 
He's talking about the heart, the spirit of a person. We're all, if you look at the world economy, every one of, every one of us in the room is in the top 2% of wealth holders in the world. Every one of us. Even those of you who think, I'm not rich, you're not. But you are compared to people who get, who make $3 a month. You go to Dominican Republic, you go to Haiti, you go to Guatemala, you go to, 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 to just about anywhere else in the world and you see how they live and you realize how rich you are. He's not saying because you've been blessed and you have, you're, you're satisfied. He's not saying that because you're satisfied, you're going to be hungry in heaven. He's saying if you have an attitude toward other people that you think you're something, you think you're all that and if they would just do more like you do, they'll have, they'll, they'll be blessed too. When you start thinking that I'm better than another, when you lord it over another person, that's what he's talking about. And he's saying to the people that, that life is kind of dumped on, I get it. I see it. I know it. Trust me in this. I'm going to reward your suffering. It will not be in vain. I will not waste your pain. But those of us who have none, woe to us. We should be careful to make sure that we treat people the way the Messiah, the way the Lord Jesus Christ treats people and the way he calls us to preach or calls us to teach people. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say? Think about him for a minute. A lot of us try to separate Savior and Lord. Savior that's fire insurance. I'm not going to burn. My sins are forgiven. I'm all good. So what's the least I can do to still make it into heaven? Lord is, if I say it, you do it. And this, Jesus isn't changing his tune. He says this all over the New Testament. And, and, and Paul echoes it time and time again. But Jesus says in, in, uh, in John chapter 15 with the vine and the branches, you know, any, any branch that doesn't bear good fruit will be cut off and, and it'll fall to the ground it'll be, and it'll be thrown into the fire. But if you think about it, just for a moment, he says after that, he goes, if you love me, John 14, 15. So just before that, excuse me, just before John 15 with the vine and the branches, he says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Same thing he's saying here. Why do you say, Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say? See, he knows that life's going to hit. Luke in particular, his focus of his gospel and, and the things that he highlights that Jesus said have a lot to do with the pain of life when life hits, when it gets ugly. Here, when the torrent comes, he doesn't say if a torrent comes, that house will stand. He says when it comes. And I want to, I want to paint a little picture for you. I've been, I've been there. I've been to the Holy Land and I've seen the kind of stuff, you know, he's in this wide open place and these people, when he talks about building, you know, building on the rock or building on the sand, I know he doesn't mention sand right here, but when he talks about, you know, he digs down to the rock, they don't have sand like we do. They don't have sand like we do uh, Michigan, uh, lake, out by Lake Michigan beaches, or even where, where, where they grow, you know, where we all grow uh, blueberries and that kind of stuff. We love building on sand, by the way. It compacts well. You can level it out well. It holds a foundation very well after you've compacted it. You just have to set up drain, you know, the drain tiles and all that stuff so that, so that water flows away and doesn't come in and erode. But then and there, it's a whole different kind of thing. See, everyone knew when he's talking about digs down deep to the rock to build and when the torrent comes, he's talking about wadis. 
And a wadi is like if you're out in the, in the, in the desert area, we think desert, wilderness, rocky terrain. Um, during the dry season, there were these, these patches of really silty, very fine sand. And they, it was like a river. You've seen riverbeds that have dried up, right? And you go out west and, and they flash flood warning and you wonder how people can get, you know, if they're standing in a riverbed and then all of a sudden this torrent comes and takes their, washes their Jeep away or washes them away. Uh, we, we have some idea, but every one of these people knew what he was saying. They all had a picture. See, these wadis were in the, in the, uh, this, this little creek bed or this large river bed that looks like a perfect place. To, no one's claimed this property. It looks like a perfect place. And if, you're, if there's a drought for two or three years, you might think, I'm going to put a house there. The rains are gone. No problem. But as soon as you put a house there on that sand and the water comes and it will come, the torrent will come. It'll wash it away. But if you dig down deep and you somehow create a foundation that hooks into the stone, they do this in Colorado a lot, uh, hooks into the stone. When the torrent comes and it will, the house will stand. And he's saying that to to us, are we wise builders of our lives or are we foolish builders of our lives? Are we preparing for the torrent, our faith? Are we building our faith when things are good so that when life hits, we're ready? Or are we going, I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to follow him as long as things go well for me. And then as soon as pain comes, as soon as difficulty comes, as soon as a bad diagnosis comes, as soon as, as a deal doesn't come through, as soon as I lose my house or the economy falls apart, then I'm going to say, why God, why did you let this happen? When Jesus right here is saying, folks, you got to love those who hate you. You have to forgive and you'll be forgiven. You have to bless and not curse. You have to, you have to you're supposed to do that when it's not hard so that you're practiced and well-built. So that when the torrent hits, when life comes, when it gets ugly, you stand firm. See, there's no real faith involved when things are going well. If you feel faithful, there's not faith involved because faith is being sure of what you hope for. Not what you already have. Faith is being certain of what you don't see. That means that everything looks like you shouldn't be faithful and you choose to believe that you should anyway. But you cannot do that if you haven't practiced it, if you haven't built it, if you, every time someone treats you poorly, if you respond in kind, then you're not building up the building of your faith so that when life hits, you can stand firm. We all know people who seem to be faithful and then something bad happened in their lives and they just dump everything. And we've looked at others. Some of us grew up with, you, have, you might have children, you might have grandchildren, you might have someone you know that loves the Lord. And then s suddenly things get a little ugly and they, they turn away. And you're, oh, how could you do that? When, what would Jesus' response be? When they, when they turn against everything they've believed in before, what would Jesus' response be? Go to hell? Or would he seek them out? Would he treat them with mercy? And grace, think about our world, folks. We are more, our world is more today like it was then than ever before. When Jesus talks about turn the other cheek to these people, if these people decide to follow Jesus, they're going to be kicked out of their synagogue. They're going to lose their livelihood. They're going to lose their social standing. And they're going to lose their family. And every one of them can picture how they kick people out of a synagogue. They slap you upside the head and say, you're no longer welcome here. And he's saying to them, literally, when they slap you upside the head, ask them if they want some more. How are we doing? Because that's the question Jesus asks. Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say? Are you a wise builder? Or are you a foolish builder? 
See, Jesus sought out the people that no one else sought out. And the people he called out were the people that thought they were faithful. So I ask you simply, do you love the Lord your God with everything you have? And do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you do to others as you would have them do to you? Or do you wait to see how they treat you and then return in kind? Because if we don't love our enemies, then we're foolish builders. Our culture is now turning against everything we stand for. People are being condemned because they teach in a Christian school. And what do we do? We get outraged. We get angry. How dare you? What about the double standard? All that kind of stuff that we say. When what, what does Jesus call us to do? To love those who persecute us. To bless and not curse. To not return evil with evil, but evil with kindness. Folks, it is extremely disarming when someone keeps pounding on you and you keep saying, would you like another? Our call has not changed, but our world has. So are we wise or foolish? Are we saying, Lord, Lord, save us from the torrent? Or are we preparing our house of faith so that when the torrent comes, we stand firm? God does rescue us at times, but other times he calls us. He wants us to be like our teacher, to be fully trained so that we look just like him. If Jesus were condemned for preaching the gospel in our culture today, how would he respond? How dare you tell me? Or would he just keep preaching the gospel? Would he keep loving those who hate him? Would he keep blessing those who curse him? Would he keep showing mercy to the evil and the wicked? Or would he send them all to hell? So if he would continue to show mercy to the wicked, what are we called to do? Are we wise or foolish builders? Do we say, Lord, Lord, and then not do what he says? Or do we do what he calls us to do? I encourage you to read Luke 6, that sermon on the plain, and read it in all of its context. Each individual thing is worth reading. But he's saying to us, as he was saying to them, all of it matters. And I'm not kidding. I hope to God that when he, knows, when he meets you, when you see him, that he says, well done, wise builder. And I can't tell you if you're wise or not. You probably know, though. So if there was conviction in this, confess it, repent of it, ask God for forgiveness, and ask him to give you the faith that you need, because faith is a gift. It's not something we muster. It's a faith, and he, we're to steward it and to, to grow it 
when things are good so that when things are tough, you stand. But if there's guilt in this, if you feel like, oh, I'm just a total failure, that is not God speaking to you. That is his enemy trying to draw you away from God instead of drawing you toward God. Do not let the enemy draw you away. Run to the one who calls you from the grave. And whatever that is that's falling, it's a cue to pray. We'll pray. Almighty God, we bless you. We thank you. We praise you for your mercy, for the grace that you show us. And Lord, we thank you in advance for giving us the ability to show others mercy and to give others grace. Help us be wise builders of the faith that you've entrusted to us so that when life hits, we stand firm. We hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because we know the one who promised it is faithful. We pray these things in Jesus' name through the power of your spirit for the glory of God our Father. Amen.